0: Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to whatever feed you're listening to this on. Uh, My name is Benjamin Jacobs. I'm the host of Wittenberg to Westphalia, the Wars of the Reformation, a podcast which is purportedly about wars of religion in the early modern period, but which has spent the last five years gloriously digging into the background of the early modern period, which is to say the Middle Ages. With me today is Sam Hume, host of the extraordinarily wonderful Pax Britannica podcast, but also the history of witchcraft. Sam, would you like to say hello?
1: Hello, everyone, whoever, wherever you're listening to this.
0: (laughs) So Sam and I both participated independently, I suppose, in the intelligent speech conference recently, and we had, I, I was sort of on an organizational side, we had a question from a listener who couldn't quite attend. And so we promised to slip the question into the Q&A portion of Sam's presentation, and then everybody forgot. So <laughs> Sam and I went back and recorded an answer afterwards, and the question was so good that Sam and I were sitting there after we recorded going, yeah, we should just do a crossover. Uh, and then the listener, and I should say the listener's name is Ira, and Ira sent us a follow-up question, which was equally as good as the first one. So now it's like, well, okay, mm-hmm. now we just have to. Yeah. Uh, so let me just start off here by reading these questions and then we'll sort of go into just sort of a chat about um witchcraft sounds good to me ira asked for sam hume uh, of pax britannica this question is more about your other podcast The story of witchcraft for some of the evidence it seems that witchcraft panics follow a similar spread to that of a meme kind of like an intellectual virus Panic spread among, along trade routes through the spread of pamphlets, which would be adapted by local printers to better fit local conditions, leading to an outbreak of panic, which would claim some victims and then subside, perhaps to re-emerge later. What is your opinion on viewing witchcraft trials as a meme?" So then we sent him this response, which we recorded some time ago.
1: So first off, that's a fantastic question, and I've put a lot of thought into it. Um, and it's an interesting idea, and I'm sure if they haven't already, there are historians who will have looked at it in this way, even if it's just an article or two, not full monograph. But I think there's a lot of similarities there, but I don't want to oversell it. I think one one similarity is that memes and witch panics are very decent, well, with memes, they're almost always decentralized. There's very, very rarely, there's not one guy in charge of the meme. But once the meme takes off, that's it. Um, and in the same way, which panics? In a lot of cases, one of the clearest factors is that local authority's not there. It's not able to charge the situation and things get out of hand. Not always, and in in many cases, the authorities are the one leading the charge, but um, quite a few times, it's the other way around. The authorities are being dragged along, often unwillingly. So in that sense, they're, they're somewhat like memes. In another way, both are self-propelling in a way. Once, once a meme gets enough, once a meme becomes popular enough, there's it will just go on until it burns itself out. Um, and that usually, whenever a corporation uses it for an advertising campaign, that usually be, is when it's done. Um, but with witch panics, it's the same kind of thing and this is what iris question kind of touches on not so much with with trade routes and with pamphlets being reprinted or, or something like that but more the case of when one community hears about a neighboring community and finds out that they are they're persecuting their witches that might be the push community a needs to persecute their own witches, Um, and that'll be based on long-standing reputations. Someone's got a reputation 20 years ago, they had an argument over a cow, they didn't get paid for it, or they didn't get paid enough and the cow died, and then that's, this is how long we're talking. Um, This is how long these reputations can last. So it isn't so much that as an intellectual virus, the people didn't all of a sudden discover or find out about witches, there was always a like an underlying credulity that was always there, and then it was just built up with local factors, local reputations, and then I could see the the, the witch panic as a meme having an effect, um, being the spark. But again, I don't I don't want to oversell it because witch pan witch beliefs were, were endemic at different regions and at different levels of society. They had different attributes, but. I mean, perhaps you could you could possibly make the case for the Malleus Maleficarum being, like, a meme because it, a lot of the ideas that Kramer and I've forgotten the other guy's name, but it's fine because everyone else does, a lot of the ideas they came up with were new and they were not officially endorsed. Um, but then they, they took hold then. So maybe in that sense, um, when you're getting very early on, quite early in the printing press as well. But after that, I think it's... Yeah, I think at that point, it's just a reminder or like just a an instigator for, for pre-existing witch beliefs to go, oh, um, that's why we haven't had a good harvest this year. Um, village down the road, they've found a witch. I know that she's probably a witch and that might be uh, where the, the meme factor comes in. But I wouldn't want to overstep that too much. And like I said, there's probably historians that have written about this and... I'm actually going to look into this after, uh, after this and see, because it's a very interesting idea. Cool. And so ended our initial reply.
0: So I'll say that part of why we wanted to do this chat is then while I had done a presentation at the Sound Education Conference a year ago, um, or more, two years ago? I think it yeah, it's getting a
1: year and a half. Um, oh no, it's getting close to two.
0: Yeah, um, where... I had said um, I had made sort of a similar point to Ira, but not not exactly the same way. Again, Ira's question is uh, brilliant in its statement of the, the concerns. But I had done this whole presentation on pamphlets and sort of their parallel to new media and how they had helped spread witchcraft uh, along trade routes. So then Ira followed up with the the second statement set of questions things a little bit longer he said sam brought up a number of points i hadn't considered in asking the question such as the importance of old reputation and the active participation by authorities in persecutions however i would want to counter the point about authority participation by noting that authorities were also people and regularly fell prey to fads as well I see it all the time in academia with everyone jumping on whatever the new trend is. Except academics might be worse because they really believe that unlike the hoi polloi, they are just being experts and drawing conclusions from facts with no social pressure, ideology, or bias affecting them. As a current example, there's quite a bit of something going around the human genetics community about population replacement. Basically, what it is going on is that new ancient DNA suggests that population replacement was almost total, with agriculturalists probably killing off local hunter gatherers as they migrated into new territories. Meanwhile, social scientists are very wary about the findings because of the history of their theories ending up fueling eugenics and social Darwinism. But the genetics look at that reticence and say, but we're just objectively looking at the facts. The point being that even experts tend not to understand their own decision-making processes. A couple of good reads on these topics would be this New York Times article on DNA and Chapter 9 of James C. Scott's book, Seeing Like a State. And if I can find the link to the New York Times article, I will include it in the show notes.
1: Please do. Um, I mean, I remember, and I was saying to, this, to you just before we began, when I read Iris' response, I immediately thought, very good point. Of course the authorities are going to be just as influenced by a meme, yeah. as anyone else, except they would—they look at it in their own special lens. So, mm. in the same—in in the same way that academics, maybe yeah. in Iris example, they might not think that. Oh, we're not—we're—we're—we're we're, we're thi- we're thinkers. We're not going to be caught along with this, with with the hoi polloi getting all confused right. and such. We've got reason behind it. Yeah. Of course, the authorities and the demonologists had their own reasons for believing that witchcraft was real yeah. and to our modern eyes it's just as ludicrous and ridiculous but to yeah. them it was like well we've got the science we know we can explain why witches float and why innocent people sink or the reverse depending on where you are so in the same way yes I always got a very very good point there is that that's something I did miss out in my answer and I should have really acknowledged it
0: So I think one of the things that's interesting, though, is that there's always the question of, but why didn't everyone? (laughs) So my my bias on this point is that absolutely, you know, given my previous presentation, oh, I so I talked about this before, but we may actually cut that part out. Um, So I had done a previous presentation where I had talked about pamphlets acting somewhat like social media. They're they're a new media version that sort of democratizes content, which then allows, if you will, trash information to infiltrate into the the discourse and in the context of a lot of social dislocation and mistrust of authority it did lead to it being difficult for people to sort out good information for bad information so one of the things that's always interesting when you're talking about the witchcraft trials is so sam and i have talked about this before and sam has his uh things that always piss him off about um, <laughs> people when people talk about witchcraft trials when they say like it's just this or it's just that for me the biggest thing that pisses me off is that people say well in the middle ages people were so ignorant they burned witches and of course uh as sam and i both are very well aware you know no definition of the middle ages that's currently used by historians for periodization would encompass the witch trials um Mm -hmm. maybe some of the earliest ones but There's a lot going on, and really what we're talking about is the witchcraft trials were not a medieval phenomenon. And so the question is, one, you know, Europeans sort of had these folk beliefs about witches for, well, since the beginning of time, essentially, uh, Mm -hmm. as far as we know. But they didn't start burning people in mass until the 1500s, 1600s. And then on the flip side, you know, you have some leaders and intellectuals who, end up getting wrapped up in this process. But usually what happens when you have a witch trial is that it gets shut down by someone in a leadership position, ultimately. Uh, You know, you accuse one too many people, you touch the third rail of local politics, and then the Holy Roman Emperor comes in and starts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Laying down the law. Waving his armies around or whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean you're trying to kill my friend's neighbor's daughter? (laughs) <laughs> witchcraft. This is ridiculous. Exactly. Oh, forget about the other 20 people you've done before this. They were fine. Whatever. Sure, yeah. I'm sure you had your reasons. but Now you, I care about it, and now yeah. it's ending. Yeah.
0: And of course, ultimately, what brought all, you know, and there's, you know, to Sam's general irritation about it being this, this thing specifically, or the other thing, you know, there's all these accusations that it was just the Catholics or just the Protestants. You know, it was the Catholic Church that actually took one of the main actions to start ending the uh, the witchcraft trials and I forget the year and I forget the context but they sort of their chief inquisitor did an investigation of witchcraft trials and went uh these are all crap <laughs> <laughs> I have not been I think the quote was something along the lines of I've never I have not found a single witchcraft trial that met our standards of evidence yeah <laughs> or procedure
1: <And> it's, <laughs> it it's so infuriating because it's I think where that comes into it is people's misunderstanding of when the witch panics happened and they think Medieval, so this is like, if they know anything about history, they'll go, okay, well, medieval was before the Reformation, so it was just one big church, so therefore, right, we can point the finger, which of course is completely, yeah, wrong,
0: completely hogwash. I mean, y- you could say that um, it may be in raw numbers more Catholics people got burned more in Catholic areas but that's, there were just more Catholic areas
1: <laughs> mm. um, and, and in the same way that there are very Catholic areas that have no witch trials absolutely absolutely so it's, it, it's, it's just stupid to suggest that um, yes the Pope from his throne, was like <laughs> ah, those women—they're getting a bit too uppity now. And Go on, burn a few hundred of them. It, yeah. it, it's just mad. It's just—it's yeah. just. It's just and I, I get why people fall for it because it's so mad. It's so yeah. insane. Which which trials and which panics and it's scary. Yeah, to think that these mass murderous panics happened for completely human reasons. There doesn't yeah. need to be a conspiratorial evil person arranging it all. It's just ordinary people.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I think we, we've, we've decided what we think it isn't. It's nothing <laughs> simple. There's no yeah. uh, snidely whiplash twirling his mustache and going after innocent women. But so the, the bigger question is, is what are the, the complex set of you know social conditions that, that caused the situation in light of Ira's questions? Um, and I, I think it is fair to say in terms of the first question, And I should say, in a a simple, uh, you know, chat in an afternoon, we're not going to solve this whole question, but... (laughs) If only. If only. If only we could. (laughs) In responding to Ira's initial question, obviously, you know, uh, so we're talking about there's a definite overlap in terms of the rise of the printing press during this period where particularly in the light of a complete lack of effective copyright laws, you had a lot of incentives for people to print these pamphlets, which were like, even one page of just printed stuff that they could just take out in stacks to the market once a week and hawk. And, you know, there was a constant need for new content, so they were looking at what traders from other areas were bringing in, you know, taking their pamphlets or broadsheets, just taking them back and copying them, tweaking them up a bit, and spreading them around. And that's actually a lot of how the Protestant Reformation happened, is because Martin Luther's stuff was spreading that way. At the same time, again, you could sort of say, by contrast, or, you know, but by that same mechanism, information, quote unquote, about witches was spreading in this fashion. And uh, in uh, in my research for the presentation two years ago, uh, I did run into an article whose name I'm not remembering right now, <laughs> but I can try and put it in the show notes if I remember, that looked at this issue and pointed out that there were a couple cities where they banned pamphlets talking about witchcraft, and then they didn't have any trials. <laughs> so... Which sort of leads into the second question, which is, how did authority play into this? And I I think it's fair to say that, as Ira says, authorities are people, part of which means that some of them are going to be susceptible to meme stuff, part of which means that they're not monolithic. Yeah. Um, There are some people who, for whatever reason, bought into the, the meme information, if you will, but there are certainly lots of authorities who didn't. As I mentioned, you know, with the, the chief inquisitor kind of helping to shut everything down. And that that's also sort of an interesting thing. Sam, what what kind of incentives do you think there were that would drive authorities to participate or not participate?
1: Oh, um, I think, I mean, the immediate go-to is greed. That's right. usually brought up as, um, yes, the witch hunters were making money from this. Right. And the people who accused people were making money from this because they would get some of their some of the accused belongings and that's certainly true and there is i think there's the the witch trials in Liechtenstein in the 17th century were notable for that if i'm remembering rightly it was a couple of years since i since i learned about that and obviously there's matthew hopkins which found a general also he, he's it was his job he was going around and he was charging people yeah but i don't think greed counts for most of it i think it depends how cynical you want to be. Because on the cynical side of it, you could say that authorities... Things are going wrong. For whatever reason, bad harvests, war, the economy's failing, what have you. A scapegoat is very, very useful. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be cynical, you could say that a lot of authorities are going, okay, well, everyone seems to believe it's it's Agnes from down the road. Right. Um, let's put her on trial. Um, but if you, if you you if you don't want to be that cynical, then I suppose... There's genuine, sincere belief that these people are dangerous, that these people are witches, that they are heretics, and they are putting not only their own eternal souls, but everyone else's eternal souls at risk. Mm. And I think it's just like all things to do with this topic. It's not very simple, and I think it's just a mix of all of those things. You Because no witch trial happens on one person's order. So yes, the local lord may like, in Liechtenstein, want to claim people's property and make accusations towards the rich people in his community. But the people following that out, are they getting a cut? Or yeah. are they doing this because they believe that the person is guilty? Like, I, I think it's it's so unsatisfactory, because you yeah. want just a single thing, but I think everyone in every witch trial has their own agenda, has their own story. Yeah, um, And I think that's what makes it so fascinating.
0: Yeah, and... The sort of narrative that I usually see with witchcraft trials is there's usually, and I, I think it, it pays to differentiate between authorities of different levels, uh, especially yes. in sort of early modern, late medieval society, uh, you know, peasant societies or urban societies where um, uh, society is so heavily stratified by class and things like that, mm-hmm. um, where you, you sort of have authorities like the bishop or, you know, the, the king or the lord. And they tended to be really suspicious of these things. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can, there's a bunch of reasons why, you know, you, you can talk about that. One of them being that, you know, they already have money.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, they make more money by things, by society being stable and respecting their authorita mm-hmm. uh, than having things get all topsy-turvy. But you have people who are sort of lower down on the totem pole. Like, uh, the Witchfinder General, from listening to your show, he was, like, just some
1: cleric, I believe. It's just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just rocked up in East Anglia and said, Parliament has charged me with finding the witches in this community. Parliament had done no such thing. He just made that up. And when Parliament found out, they were not happy. And this is Puritan-dominated right. Parliament, so the stereotype is that they are the, the witch hunters. Like, I mean, Salem, for example. Right. But just as an example of the authorities, you know, not always being in favour of this kind of, of uh, yeah. social unrest. Yeah, they were not pleased when, uh, when, when they found out about Hopkins.
0: So you usually have someone who's got like a little bit of education, a little bit of status within their society, or, you know, a con man who at least comes (laughs) off as having some ability to have education or authority. And... So Marxist historians like to talk about how revolutions start, lesser, earlier revolutions are always about a, um, you know, leaders from one class that doesn't feel like they're given enough clout coming in and just trying to take over by using a revolution to push themselves higher up the uh, pecking order, which, you know, again, I I don't generally... like marxist uh lenses but i think that that idea is pretty (laughs) valid in terms of you've got some guy who He's got some education, he's got some respect and wealth, but he's not really kicking it in the halls of power or anything. And, you know, he's hungry, you know,
1: (laughs) he wants to make his mark.
0: He's ambitious Ambitious
1: and he's held back by society. I can like that's that's a universal across all of human history. So, yeah, to that extent, there's definitely something to it. And then you know some
0: someone comes in and drops a bunch of pamphlets saying that there's these there's these secret witch covens hanging out <laughs> everywhere, and they're the reason that that you know there's hail. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, well, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? You know, those losers down in town hall can take all the time they want, man, uh, twiddling their thumbs about this particular problem, but they're going to ignore it until it swims up and bites them in the beehive.
1: Yeah, I'm the one getting hailed on here. This is not fair. (laughs) They're the ones with the nice
0: houses. Exactly. Yeah. Come on, let's go demand that they take some action. Yes. And then uh, from there, you know, people down in City Hall have to either
1: take a stand or follow the crowd. As yeah, well. try and control it if they can. That's yeah. something that does come up quite a bit, yeah. is that it is often, like you say, mostly authorities try and clamp down on this kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. the worst panics are where the authorities are either absent or weak, and they yeah. can't do it. So for self-preservation, more than anything else, they can go along with it because, you know, an angry mob, everyone in a position of power in the early modern era onwards, is terrified of the mob.
0: Yes. And that's sort of where there's something to the the whole, like, economic argument about this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is one of those things that definitely people are like, it's just that rich people were afraid of poor people, man. uh, (laughs) But, you know, the people who got burned were definitely poor, but there's also, like, you know, local authorities were afraid of mobs.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the people accusing them. We're also usually poor as well. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. And to touch
0: on that reputation thing that Ira brought up, I know I've brought it up a ton in my show. You know, even when you're not daring down the barrel of a witch trial in the early modern period in the Middle Ages, your reputation was sort of something that you lived and died on in European society. You're you're in a situation, particularly for rural peasants, where it's like everyone's constantly on the edge of starvation. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, if if I had a bad harvest and my neighbor had a pretty good harvest, if they like me, they could be like, "Look, dude, not." your fault the hail hit your field and not mine whatever (laughs) here's here's some grain to get you through the winter versus if they hate me they're like ah no
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. i mean that's that touches on another aspect of it um like the reverse even you're not even people being like being aware that okay if i've got a good reputation i'll get more more help from people right but um i think it's kevin sharp so uh, a really famous historian of english witchcraft trials Mm -hmm. um and his thesis is basically if a poor member of your community came to your house and requested charity and you turned them away that then looks bad but if they're a witch (laughs) then it's okay yeah it's basically it's it's better argued than that but that's just another way that, that reputation comes into this. Yeah. Is that if you are socially responsible for someone, and you can, you're you gonna resent that, so why do I have to spend my money to keep her, that spinster, up uh, on the hill? Yeah. Um, and then, not necessarily deliberate, like, I'm gonna get her killed, but more just a reputation thing. That yeah. she is known as being bitter and angry because people resent her because they have to look after her, or something like that. It's just one very minor example.
0: Yeah. Well, in any of these traditional close-knit communities, there's there's this this you know sort of nostalgia myth that the middle-aged peasantry were all you know dancing around maples and everything <laughs> or they were you know just constantly unified by being beaten down by authorities. but you know you, you look at both no, no no you look at the court records and they were as colorful as anyone. <laughs> oh God yeah. <laughs> they had their own bites like I just don't like that guy.
1: <laughs> yeah I, he, he shortchanged me. So then there's a fight at the tavern later on and then there's a feud between those families for generations.
0: And, you know, in, in a situation where there's no... nothing to do. like all you, <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do in the winter is, like, mend your baskets, mend your clothing, stare at the fire and nurse your grudges. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's so true. <laughs> it's just they're just sewing, like, lowering at the fire. Yeah. <laughs> just lit by the fire, just going, like, that... I hate him.
0: <laughs> He's short-shot.
1: <laughs> yeah, he'll get his due in time. <laughs>
0: So, I mean what you see anytime that there's any kind of social disruption uh, in pre-modern societies those feuds just like burst out into the open uh, based mm-hmm. on whatever pretext I mean records from like the Wars of the Roses were full of just like these minor little you know I just don't like that guy kind of things turning into contests for domination over certain counties by the two parties of the Civil war mm-hmm. and things like that and this t- this time period when the witch trials were happening which I I should just emphasize was much later than the Wars of the Roses but this time period was a time period of extreme social dislocation uh, partly because of the Wars of the Protestant Reformation partly because of you know, all sorts of economic and social effects that were just generally happening. Uh, You you sort of had the rise of proto-capitalism. You still had a lot of dislocation from the after effects of the Black Death and various pandemics. And you just generally had a economy that was in a huge amount of transition. You know, in many ways, the central middle ages from like year 1000 or so to the year 1300 or so were actually an economic boom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's weird to think about it that way because it's it's an economic boom because everything before that was like economically prostrate. But it was this, you know, 200, 300 year period of economic expansion. You get to the end of that and you've gone as far as you can with that social organization system and things start to run into trouble and fall apart. Um, They were given a bit of a breather by half the population dying (laughs) in the Black Death. But (laughs) by the time you get to the 1500s and 1600s, you've got all these extra people and a agricultural system that sort of hasn't updated itself in mm. a few centuries,
1: and then and then you get just a nice little thing called the Little Ice Age, just just yes. rolling into town and ruining everything.
0: <laughs> just to sprinkle a little bit of climate change right on top of that
1: misery pie, um. <laughs> which is at all not at all relevant to current events. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, the more things change. Definitely,
0: so I guess the one thing to wrap everything up is sort of you know what can we learn from this in terms of modern society? Um, you know for my my presentation that I did a couple of years ago, I obviously sort of said, so this is obviously relevant to trying to sort out good information from bad information in in the you know the online context, and one of the things that I was talking about was how you know institutions came in and eventually settled things down with print media not to mention copyright law uh <laughs> but is there anything that we learned from this in terms of the importance of keeping institutions strong or helping leadership make good decisions or any of the stuff we've talked about
1: i don't know about institutions but i think just a general thing that just Jumps out at me from from the from the witch panics. So a lesson is just just to be calm. Just just <laughs> like most of these awful mass panics, and not just the witch trials, but every other moral panic you can think of. Yeah, it's been people having a gut reaction to something, mm-hmm. and it could be anything, and it just leads to tragedy. Yeah. And I think if there's if there's anything we can learn from the witch trials, it's that just calm down like not <laughs> there's very little there's not much in the world that you need to immediately react to and in fact take that back because i'm just thinking about current events at the moment instead. yeah you know at the Maybe same not. time
0: there's no there's power in anger and that can there is there lead, definitely is that can, that can lead to really positive social change but like anything
1: it's it's a tool you know it's only it's, as valuable it's a as fire yeah. Anger, anger. If I want, if I'm going to put my poet hat on, yeah, it's that anger is like a fire, and it can be very, very useful. You can clear away all the dead brush and stuff, and you can bring about change. But you can also destroy. Yeah, and not to get too into current events, sure. But people's gut reactions can be spot on. They can also be horrendously off the mark and have tragic consequences.
0: Absolutely and i think that that's just there's no easy answer there as with you know what caused the witch trials um, yeah it's just probably something that everyone needs to
1: know that's <laughs> just it just on background. an individual level just okay be have a healthy skepticism about things you hear something new like a meme on facebook yeah. about something someone's doing and it fits with your personal political opinions yeah don't necessarily take it for granted as being 100 accurate yeah like even if it feels good to get angry at someone for something like i know i fall into it all the time yeah absolutely just like yes i hate that guy yes he's probably doing this and then i'll read the comments and someone will be like well here's the source this is how it's been twisted slightly yeah. and then i'll feel like oh uh, okay that's 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 annoying i wanted to be angry <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've gotten to the point where i try and wait for a reputable source to be reporting yeah. on something before i you know which you know that's frustrating too because sometimes mainstream sources genuinely ignore things that they should be paying attention to but yes at that's time,
1: infuriating yeah because yeah i like i like to keep the same rule okay like i i used to read the bbc every single day at lunchtime that was that was my routine yeah um and generally speaking, I still think the BBC is incredibly good value and very accurate and, and trustworthy. Yeah. But just a few times I've been like, why are you not reporting about this when yeah. this, this, this and this of slightly less reputable sources are talking about it? Why aren't you? That builds up. And I think that's where a lot of people's skepticism yeah. comes from. And it's not necessarily always a good thing.
0: It's it's funny that you mentioned the BBC because they're they're my go to source for back checking American political stuff. (laughs) Because I figure you know yeah I've I've learned you know CNN and obviously Fox uh, are not I don't like to go to them. (laughs) The twenty four hour news cycle is really really bad. Uh, (laughs) But uh, you know if i find it something from a you know a third party source or something i'll wait until bbc has reported on it before i yeah. start bringing it out that said when it comes to english politics
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god no don't talk about don't talk about british politics cuz i'll just i'll just get sad yeah i'll just get very sad all right well uh this has been fantastic and this has been a lot of fun
0: yeah Hopefully, uh, we will have some some excuse to do something like this again sometime.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. So we'll finish up there. Um, thank you, Ben, from the Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast. One day you will get to Wittenberg, and I cannot wait. Someday, someday, someday. If you're interested in hearing more about this, then definitely go and check out Ben's talk on San, uh, when he was at San Education, which is in his feed. I really enjoyed it. He raises some really good points. Some stuff I never even considered when I was doing History of Witchcraft, like copyright and how important that was to it. Never even crossed my mind. So it's absolutely brilliant. And yes, go and give that a listen and then listen to the rest of it. I am Sam Hume from Pax Britannica and the History of Witchcraft and uh thank you sam for talking to me everybody should go check out the history of witchcraft
0: and pax britannica they're both excellent excellent shows and thanks everybody for listening thank you Oh, we say the word's goodbye.
1: Yeah, so that's that might be generally what
0: people do.
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?